Good vibes. Good morning, everyone. If you haven't met me yet, my name is Donovan, uh, part of the leadership team here at Common Ground. Uh, My wife, Heidi, couldn't join us this morning. She's got a sore throat, feeling a bit ill. Anyone else been struggling with that? It seems to be going around a little bit, a little bit. But it is good to be together with God's people. I'm excited to, I'm going to open God's word. I'm going to speak to us. We're going to do communion together, which is just such a lovely way to respond to what God's saying to us. And then we're going to sing a few songs of worship. So in a sense, this message is a call to worship. It's going to be the call for us to really enjoy a time of, of singing and responding to God in song. So good to mix it up now and again and to just do things a little bit differently. I don't know if you guys remember being in school and you had like phys ed class. And um, I'm trying to focus, but there's a lot of movement going on. Um, so it's phys ed class, and you know, the coach or the teacher says, okay, two captains, you guys choose teams. We all know what that vibe is there. Now imagine this morning I called you up. And I said, okay, you're over here, you're over here. I want you to pick, you know, pick five people each for this, this big thing that's happening. If that was you, what would, what would be the first thing you wanted to know? What's it for? <laughs> Am I going for brains or brawn? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Am I going for speed or power? Like, what's the prize? What are we, what are we aiming for? Well, that's, that's what we need to know because when you know where this thing's going, it changes the decisions you're making now and, and your kind of strategy behind why you're doing what you're doing. Well, in many ways, that's exactly what this series is all about. The series called Eternal Beings in a Temporary World. We're looking at some of the big questions of the future, and we're asking ourselves, well, if that's the future, what do I need to be doing now to make sure that I'm on the right side of that future? Now, if you're not yet a Christ follower, maybe you're looking into the claims of Christ, maybe someone invited you to come along, great to have you here. Um, we're, norm- we're a friendly bunch of people, I'm sure people have said hi. And if they didn't, I apologize. It will never happen again because we'll make sure that we never allow that to happen. But what we're doing this morning, in a sense, is we're looking into the crystal ball of eternity. And and we're asking ourselves, what does the Bible have to say about the future? Now, of course, most of us here are already Christ followers. And this series is, is as important for us as it is for those who don't yet know Jesus. It's so important. It's so enlightening to our lives. I think a good way to describe culture at the moment is a little bit like it's engineered to feel like a casino. I haven't spent huge amounts of time, really any amount of time in a casino. Some of you might know more than I do. But uh, there's two things that you're never gonna see in a casino. And actually, there's three things. I was told there was an extra one. Anyone guess what those are? A clock. A pastor. <laughs> a clock? Yeah, the sun you generally don't see. Windows, that'll help you see the sun. And then someone else told me that actually a map or an exit sign, it's like a bit of a labyrinth to get you lost in there. Now, you'll never see windows and clocks. There's going to be a lot of sound, going to be a lot of lights, you know, flashing lights, colors all designed to get your attention and to keep your attention in the moments. It's designed to keep the outside world as far away as possible for you to forget about what's happening out there and just to be in the moment right now. I mean, the entire ecosystem ecosystem 
is designed to engage and distract you from anything out there. Anything that's a greater reality, any of your responsibilities, any of the things that you need to take care of until such time as you've blown all your cash and you've got nothing left to give. And then you kind of, with your head hung in shame, walk out of that casino. See, windows are problematic because what they do is they break the spell. They break the spell and and they help you to realize that there's actually a world out there, that there's actually bigger things and more important things and responsibilities. There's a bigger story happening than your story stuck in this casino, kind of locked in. And and clocks are just as damaging because they want you to lose sense of time. You know, you can walk in in the afternoon, you don't even realize the sunset, it's pitch dark outside, you're just living in the moment, having fun, forgetting about responsibilities, forgetting about your promise to be home at a certain time, whatever it is. We just get locked into this little bubble. It's all about disorientation, that we just give it all right here, right now. Well, and the same with the maps, you know? Casinos don't want you to find your way out. You're not going to find, like, you're here, the exit is here. It's no, no, no. It's like, just follow this road around and around, and maybe you'll find your way out if you're lucky. But here's the thing. The Bible's teaching about the future are a lot like windows into reality. They're a lot like clocks. They're maps. The, the teachings of the Bible about the future, they can cause us to sober up about the reality that there's a bigger story happening out there than maybe what we're living in right now and giving our attention to right now. Our lives can be some so caught up in the moment in our story. And the Bible's teachings help us to remember that actually take a look at the clock, take a look out the windows and remember something is happening here. So what we're doing is we look in the future, we're looking at some key data points of the moment. So, I mean, the Bible isn't actually like a crystal ball that tells us specifically what's happening in, the, in our daily lives, what exactly is going to happen to us. The Bible's not like a horoscope that's going to tell you who you're going to meet or how your fortune's about to change for good or for bad. When it comes to the future, your future, what the Bible is very clear on are some major realities or major happenings that are coming your way. Every single one of us are gonna experience these major realities. And as these realities come into view in our lives as Christ followers, as we get more clarity on the future, it's gonna radically inform our current decision-making, how we live our lives right now, how we're planning to live our lives. And I believe God wants us to break free of this casino culture that we can get locked to in our day and our age, and he wants to bring us into greater truth, bring us into greater freedom, as we get that perspective of what's really important out there. So a little teaser for next week. Uh, likely we're looking at the, at the teachings on heaven, the Bible's teachings on heaven. What does it look like? What can we expect? And, and what does that mean for our lives right now? Spurgeon said of heaven, he said, the streets of gold will have small attraction to us. The music of angels will but slightly enchant us. Compared with the king in the midst of his throne, we shall see God. And as we unpack that, we're going to see that that means something for us today. But that's next week. Right now, I want to look at the future reality of the return of the king. The return of the king. 
Now, usually when we do a, a message at Common Ground, we have one key text and we unpack that text. But today I'm kind of doing a survey of the New Testament, so I'm going to be bouncing around a little bit. I want to start by looking at the slide that Luke would have introduced you to last week. If you guys can actually just leave that up for a little while. So this is the timeline for eternity <clears throat> as described by the Scriptures. Last week we looked at the first coming of Jesus or the first advent. You can see the cross there. This is, uh, with the first coming of Jesus, we saw the kingdom of heaven break into the world. When, with Jesus, heaven invaded earth, an earth that is ruined, stained, decaying because of the impact of sin. And in his first coming, Jesus crushed sin, he defeated the devil, and Jesus did this by living the perfect life. Jesus lived a life void of the impact the decay, the death, the rebellion that sin introduces into each and every one of our lives. Jesus lived a life we could never live. It is completely unique. No other person has lived a life void of the impact of sin. And this unique life, the sinless life, is the only payment acceptable to God for the ruin of sin and decay in the world. And so Jesus willingly gave his life as a payment for the penalty that we all deserved for the sin and the decay and the death that has entered into our lives through sin. Jesus died so that we don't have to. Jesus willingly died so that we could experience life and life to the full, even though it's something that we could never have experienced without his gift of his life. And then after Jesus gave his life, he was resurrected from the dead, the first fruit of a new humanity. He was the first fruit of a, of a people that would respond to his death on the cross through faith. They would be made new into new creations and they would, they would join with Jesus into this new humanity. And then after Jesus had done all this, he returned to heaven. He ascended into heaven. Now, in his, in his ministry on earth, those three years of public ministry, Jesus taught and demonstrated the ways of heaven into earth. That's what he did. He, he demonstrated and taught the ways of heaven into earth. He also trained up followers that would continue that work after he went back to the Father. He, he trained followers that would continue to, to cause heaven to break into earth. But he did more than that. He also gifted those followers with power. He gifted those followers with the Holy Spirit so that this work that they had been trained for would be infused with power and effectiveness, that heaven would continually break into the world more and more through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in Christ's followers. Do you know what Jesus is doing right now? Right now, Jesus is interceding for us, the church. He's praying to the church. He's asking the Father. He's building his church that's what Jesus gives his time to nowadays, building the church. So what all of this does is it tells us that, that Jesus didn't die, that we're not saved to be escorted into heaven one day. That no, Jesus actually, we're saved not as an escape plan for those who have just done enough to escape judgment. And no, no, salvation is about getting caught up into what Jesus came to do, to see heaven invading earth. Salvation is about joining him 
and seeing people renewed and seeing cities renewed and seeing countries renewed and restored as this kingdom breaks into the world through my life, through your life, but also our lives together as, as Christ follows, local churches globally through the church. You know, Paul describes Christ followers as ambassadors of heaven, that we're deployed here on earth, but actually our citizenship is somewhere else, it's in heaven. And that our mission is to represent the king in the place where we find ourselves, in the power of the Spirit, as God's love and power breaks into the world through our lives, as we just say yes to God. This is the high calling, the high privilege, the high priority of what it means to be a Christ follower. Now, let me say this. If you're a Christ follower, everything I've said is already true of you. You have already been given your ambassadorship. You have already been given power from on high and invited into this most significant and impactful story that this world will ever know. You are already living in eternity. You see that top line is eternity. Eternity broke in with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Look at this verse in Colossians 1.13. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. He has. I mean, this is past tense. His kingdom is already breaking, breaking into the world through you, through us. When Jesus first came, that spirit was poured out. The curtains were kind of drawn back and something of the future entered into our time and our space. But we need to understand something about, we can go back to that timeline. That at the moment, this age and the age to come are overlapping. That we live in this in-between age. The future's breaking in, but it hasn't yet fully come. In other words, even when we pray for healing, by the way, this morning as elders, we laid hands on and, and, and anointed with oil people for healing. If, if, if you uh, were here a few weeks ago and you heard that teaching and you long for prayer, come and chat to us. But healings still happen nowadays, but they're temporary. You know, God can heal us, but our bodies will still cave in. Our bodies will still let us down. They're not going to last forever because we haven't yet fully received these new bodies that God has promised us in eternities. I'm saying that at the first coming, Jesus ushered in the kingdom of heaven into a broken and decaying world. But at his second coming, this age will pass and his kingdom will fully and finally break into this world. But one of the best analogies to think of this, uh, this theological concept of the now and the not yet, the kingdom is now, but it's not yet fully come, is given by Oscar Kuhlman. He speaks about, you know, kind of the time between D-Day and V-E Day. So if you know World War II, Jesus' first coming is like when the Allies landed at Normandy on D-Day, and victory is kind of won and set in motion as Jesus defeats sin, sin death, and Satan. But it's only many years later that Germany actually surrenders and the allies to the allies in what is known as victory in Europe or VE Day. It's, this is like the second coming where Jesus once and for all does away with his enemies and he subjugates them to his power and his dominion once and for all. But in between these times, what's happening is, is the kingdom of heaven is breaking in and pushing back darkness. It's pushing back the kingdom of the evil one as God's glory breaks in. 
So let me focus in a little bit on the second coming of Jesus. It was kind of a, a summary of last week a little bit with some few bits added on. But let, me, let me focus in on the second coming of Jesus. This is the next data point in our future. This is a part of your future that awaits you. And I want to answer two questions. What will actually happen when the king returns? You know, we can call it the second coming of Christ. If, if his first coming was to br- bring the kingdom into the world, his second coming... What does it look like, and how does that impact us? So just a few things I need to recognize before I get into the details is that there's a lot of mystery around the second coming of Jesus, and there's a lot of uh, things that believers disagree on when it comes to the end times or eschatology. Eschatology. It's the study of the end times. I was thinking eschatological, and I couldn't shorten it. Eschatology. The study of the end times or the study of the last things. You know, things like the millennium. There's a thousand-year reign of Christ. Like, when exactly will that happen? You know, will Jesus come before it or after it or in between it? And what about the rapture? What's that about? You know, when will that happen? There's a lot of things that we can't be clear on. But for what, what I want to do in this message is focus in on the things that are, that are very widely and generally agreed upon throughout the ages. So at the Council of Nicaea in AD 325, it's not long after Christ's life, the church fathers declared, he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We will look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. This is actually a remarkable consensus in a topic that has a huge propensity for disagreements. And it's not a new doctrine. I mean, this is an ancient doctrine. And we see that Jesus will come again in glory, that he's going to judge the living and the dead, that the dead will be raised, and that we will live with him in the world to come that will have no end. This is what the second coming of Christ means for us. We might not know all the details of the future, but we we understand the big data points. So let me answer a few questions. What can we know for sure about the return of the King, Jesus Christ? Well, number one, it's going to be personal, visible, and physical. Acts 1, it says, men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This is just after Jesus ascended. This same Jesus who has being taken away from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So Jesus' return, the the return of the king, it's not gonna be a mystical experience. It's not gonna be some kind of a spiritual awakening that people experience. This is gonna be the physical return of Jesus in his body. He himself is coming back. We also know that it's gonna be sudden, And Jesus said uh, in Matthew 24, so you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. You know, Peter in his New Testament writings, he says that the return of Jesus will be like a thief in the night, you know, unexpected, sudden, kind of when you feel unprepared for it. It's also gonna be dramatic and triumphant. It's gonna be personal, Visible Jesus in his body, it's going to be sudden, and it's going to be uh, dramatic and triumphant. 1 Thessalonians, it says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. 
So he's saying, you're not going to read about the return of Jesus on the third page of the Sunday Times. It's going to be on every headline. In fact, you don't need to read about it because everybody alive and dead is going to know that Jesus, the King, has returned. It's going to be cosmic. It's going to be massive. It's going to be triumphant. And there's going to be this trumpet call. It's not like a drum roll. You know, is that a drum roll? But here's Jesus. It's not for dramatic effect, this trumpet call. The trumpet calls were used to move armies, to command armies. And the trumpet call is to say that Jesus has returned, that the ages are moving on, that we're moving into a new age, that we're advancing into the fullness of the kingdom. And so this trumpet sound will call, moving the whole world into a new era. Beautiful. History is moving on. And two things are going to happen. Christ followers who have died will be resurrected first and become part of this triumphant procession. Can you imagine it? Every Christ follower that's ever lived before us, even the big dogs that we read about in the scriptures. And then Christ followers who are still alive are gonna be caught up in the air with them and then descend with them as part of this procession. If you've ever wondered about a real entourage, this is the ultimate entourage coming down with Jesus. Every Christ follower, past and present, descending with him. And it's gonna spend a spell, the end of the current age, and usher in this new heavens and the new earth in an eternal state. So here's the next big question, when? When is this gonna happen? When will the king return? Now there are many texts in the New Testament that make it abundantly clear that we cannot know the time. We cannot know the time when Christ will return. Again, Matthew 24, you must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. I just want to give a word of caution here. Um, the Bible does speak about certain signs and global happenings that we can observe that will happen before he returns. And, and you could find yourself really interested in these kind of things. I know many people are, and it, it can be quite interesting. And we can find ourselves scrutinizing this, and has this happened, and has that happened, and I think this was that, and that was that. And it's all good and fun to do that, but I want us to be very careful of falling into the trap that says we can be confident Jesus isn't coming back because this sign, this sign, and this sign hasn't happened yet. Truth be told, we cannot know if these happenings in the globe are these signs or are not these signs, we cannot know for sure. And actually, the teaching of Jesus is clearly intended to make us watch and be ready for the return of Christ. It could come in any moment. Not to get, get us that feeling to say, oh, no, it's not yet because we're still waiting for something. In fact, these signs are intended not to, not to cause us to be relaxed about the coming of Jesus, but to actually heighten our expectancy, that as history unfolds, we can see that things are happening, that time is moving on, that the end is coming nearer, that we should be more ready than ever before. Okay, what is Jesus actually going to do when he returns? Our next big question. What is he actually going to do? I just want to do some broad strokes here because we're going to unpack these realities over the next three weeks as we look at, at heaven, hell, and death. But the first thing we can be sure of is that Jesus the King will bring final judgment. John 5, this is out of the ESV. For as the, as the Father has life in himself, so he granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. 
Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in their tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Every person who has ever lived and is living will experience this final judgment of the returning King Jesus Christ. Now, there's two aspects to this final judgment. The wicked are gonna be punished and the righteous rewarded. I just wanna speak about Christ followers for a moment. It's good for us to know that we are gonna also stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I don't know if you know that. It's not a judgment to say who's really saved and who isn't. It's gonna be clear who's saved. Those that have been saved were raised up with them and descended with them down to the earth. So it's not a question of, of judgment, are you really saved? But our lives are gonna be brought in front of the judgment seat of God and our, our work for Christ, our efforts towards seeing Christ's kingdom come are going to be assessed by Jesus. This is our reality, this is our future. 2 Corinthians 5, it says, we must all appear, writing to Christ followers, before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. It's not easy preparing these messages and preaching these messages and and understanding what this actually means. This is sobering, sobering stuff. But there's also rewards for Christ followers based on, on how they've lived their lives. Here's an example to Timothy 4. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. See, here's the big picture. When the king returns, everything will be brought to light and uncovered. Everything previously hidden, everything tucked away, everything previously gotten away with will be brought into view of the fair and just judge who will reward or punish accordingly. You know, sometimes as Christ followers, we can, we can look at the world and we can ask, you know, reflect on, its, on the wickedness of the world, on the tragedies of the world, so much hurt, so much pain that's inflicted. And we can wonder how can God let these things happen? We can wonder how the wickedness of people can be gotten away with in all its forms and depravities, you know, whether it's through, through war or atrocities or you know, things like apartheid, systems that are put in place. How can this be allowed? How can this go on? And, and truthfully, the answer is, is partly I don't know, but also partly the story isn't over yet. On that day, Christ will, acquire, will require all accounts paid in full. Paid in full. All things will be resolved and no one, on that day will cry foul or unfair on that day before the righteous and good judge. Thomas Moore says, earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. There will be healing. There will be the righting of wrongs in Christ's judgment as he brings our salvation into fullness. And the second thing we can be sure about is that Jesus the King will renew all things and present us to God. 1 Corinthians 15, it says, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in turn. Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come, when, the ha- when he hands over the king- 
over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. There is a day coming when Jesus will do away with the impacts and the decay of sin and present our world and us to God in a completely new sinless state. We will be fully and finally saved as Christ follows. Hebrews 9, it says, So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Our full and final salvation awaits us. We're going to be rescued from the power, the impact, the influence of sin. We'll be purified and perfected. We're going to receive these resurrected bodies, beautiful and indestructible. This moment's coming when we present it to God in this new state. Not only us, but our world made new. N.T. Wright says this about the world. He says, God's plan is not to abandon the world, the world to which, which he said was very good. Rather, he intends to remake it. And when he does, he will raise all his people to new body life to live in it. This is the promise of the Christian gospel. The world and the universe will once again, like at creation, before the entry of sin into the world, it will be made new. It will radiate with its full potential. It will display the glory and the splendor of God's creative imagination and intent. But the new heavens and the new earth are going to be pulsating, not only with the intimate and, and very present presence of God, but also with his sovereign, overarching, transcendent glory. Guys, this is our future. This is what awaits every single person who's ever lived. So the question is, how then should we live? How then should we live? Well, let me just remind us about this this picture of casino culture and the culture that the world is, is shaping us into. What we're seeing here is that God is gifting us with windows and clocks and maps so that we don't get caught living in only this moment, like this is the only reality that we're living in, like this is the only story, like we're the only one that we're gonna ever give account to for our lives, that only what we think and what we feel is important matters. No, it's just not true. So how should we live? Well, we should live every day in light of that day. That's the challenge for us. That's the invitation for us. And maybe I can highlight two ways that this works out. Living every day in light of that day. Well, firstly, let, let me say, let it motivate you to kingdom living. Let this, this assured future motivate you to kingdom living. I mean, Paul uses this exact truth to exhort Timothy to kingdom living. I mean, 2 Timothy 4. It says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and here it is, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. He's saying, Timothy, this day is coming, so just go for it. Just go for it. Live into the fullness of what God's called you into. Give yourself to seeing his kingdom breaking into this world. As Christ followers, we must be steadfast in this casino culture world that we're living in. As Christ followers, we ought to be single-minded in our pursuit of Jesus. 
and seeing his kingdom breaking into this world. This needs to be our highest priority. And we need to resist the pull of our culture that's actually forming us in radical ways that are are not gonna help us on that day. This culture, we mustn't allow it to inform our present living, our priorities, our pursuits that we're giving ourselves to without thought for that day. And, and practically, I mean, I'm guessing right now, even as I'm speaking, as it's happening in my own life and has been happening, is that God's speaking to you about aspects of your life. And so the right thing as Christ follows is to just humbly receive what God is saying to you, what he's speaking to you about, even as you sit there. But practically, we should be reflecting on things like, you know, how faithfully have I used my resources, my time, my talents, You know, how well have I pursued the opportunities I've been granted to see God's kingdom come? Whether that's through my personal capacity, through my relationships, or together with other Christ followers, even as a local church community, how faithful have we been to see God's kingdom come? How committed have we been to serve and love, you know, those in the church, but also from the church, those that are not yet part of the church? When we think about the return of the king, we're very strongly reminded that we are not saved for a life of aimlessness or indifference, but for a life of serving God. The privilege of seeing God's kingdom breaking into this world through our lives as we surrender. This doesn't mean becoming a pastor, like a full-time pastor paid working for the local church like I have the privilege of doing. That's not what this is about. It means in everything you do, Wherever you find yourself, in whatever vocation God has called you to, whatever your circumstances, it's putting Christ at the center. That's what this is speaking about. I mean, Aaron Treadway, a friend of mine, he puts it like this. He says, significance isn't found in what you do, it's found in what you pursue. That actually, whatever we give our hands to, in that we pursue God's kingdom breaking into this world. And we know Jesus in Matthew 6 has invited us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So I want to say, don't waste your life. Don't waste your life on wealth, on the pursuit of comfort or anything else. Spend your life, Christ follower, in view of that day, desiring and seeking to see God's kingdom come as it will one day in all its fullness. Make it your life's purpose to see heaven invading earth in your sphere. Live every day in light of that day. And then finally, how then should we live? Be ready. Be ready. Maybe you're not yet a Christ follower. You need to know that that this day, the return of Jesus is also part of your future. And will you be found in him? Or will you be found in trusting in something else that's gonna pass away? Are you going to find yourself stranded or sitting on the fence? Or are you going to be swept up with all those who have put their faith in him and and join this triumphant procession? Will it be a moment of celebration or a moment of deep regret for you? You know, Jesus makes it very clear that there are many, many who on that day will experience the most profound regret. And I don't want you to be one of those people. Surrender your life to King Jesus. Surrender your life to Jesus in faith. 
It's acknowledging Jesus didn't just die on the cross for everyone else or for the person next to you or for me or for the people that you know, look like they've got everything together. No, no, Jesus died on the cross for you. He knows your life. He's not taken in. He, he doesn't, he knows you. He understands your weaknesses. He knows your failures. He loves you. He died for you. He wants to restore you. He wants to give you life to the full. He wants to reunite you in a loving relationship with your heavenly Father. He wants to infuse you with life through the Holy Spirit. Surrender your life to Jesus through faith in Christ. And then for us Christ followers, be ready. John Wesley, someone once asked him, hey, if you knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow at this time, what would you do? And he said, in effect, I would go to bed, go to sleep, wake up in the morning and go on with my work for I would want him to find me doing what he had appointed. To be ready for the return of the king is to be faithfully obeying him in the presence, in the station of life that he's placed you. As a husband, as a wife, as a father, as a grandfather, grandmother, son, daughter, granddaughter, grandson. To be actively engaged putting Christ at the center of whatever it is that you do as God in his sovereignty places you. Break free of the Christina culture of this current age. Christ follower, freshly surrender your life to Jesus and to this great mission and invitation to see kingdom breaking into your world, into our world, so that when that day comes, you can share in the indescribable delight of hearing these words. Well done. Well done, good and faithful servants. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Band, why don't you head up onto the stage? I want to lead us in a time of reflection as we do communion together. You know, Jesus, before, before he, he uh, returned to heaven, he taught his disciples that on a regular basis to share in communion together as a way of remembering not only what he has done, but also in, 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 in the foresight of knowing that the day is coming when we will share in this meal together with him in a world that will have no end. So this morning, as we gather around communion, we're particularly thinking about that day when Jesus will come again. And so I want to take a moment. You know, Jesus called us to do this as also a way of arresting our lives and just saying, stop. Look at Jesus. Remember Jesus. Remember what he has done, but remember that he is coming. And so I want to create a moment for us before we share in this communion meal together for you to just stop and think about that day and freshly consider surrendering your life as he's been speaking to you throughout this message. Let's take a few minutes to do that right now where you are.